They want, they don't want you, even though I know you want them. So I know if you saw the puppet show last week, a lot of people were giving me a hard time that they much like that show a lot more. Maybe it wasn't a hard time. Maybe it was the truth. No, it was a really good show. So the kids are really excited for that. And, uh, and once again, I just thank all the people that are just doing, putting time and energy and effort into the young people. And I just am really excited where, where that continues to lead us. So today, we start 2024. Yeah, yeah, for Sunday. Got one excited. All right. And so as we dig into 2024, though, uh, we're going to be reading through the Torah. And we're going to be looking at what the Torah, and there's also going to be different readings uh, throughout there that connect the New Testament. And, and I want you to remember as we read through the Torah that the Torah points to Jesus. And that Jesus and the Father are one. As you remember, John 10 30 states, I and the Father are one. And the, and the reason that we have the reading plan, the reason that we have this uh, structure, is for us to continue to dive into the books of the Bible with order and purpose. And if you have read Genesis chapter 1, or you've read Genesis, you can see that God is a God of order and purpose. Now, some people, as we dive in, and I just want you to know, we're going to be doing a little bit more of an overview of the Torah and then a little bit of Genesis and get into a little bit of Genesis 1. But as we lay out the groundwork for what this year looks like, many people look at the Old Testament and some people either love the stories, but they also like sort of separate it. Like many people believe that Jesus isn't in the Bible until the New Testament. Or that the genealogies are really hard to read. So, and, and I'll be honest, not all of them are the most riveting you know, genealogies to, to look at. But God is laying out the stories to tell of the redemption of a family that was separated. And so many people say they don't see Jesus, but he is there. Now, I know that I, you know, in 2023 said I would stop using Batman references. Sorry, first Sunday of 2024, I'm back in it, and I'm back into the whole, uh, I was thinking, okay, let's take the Batman trilogy by Christopher Nolan, okay? He did three movies, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises, and I was thinking, how much is Batman in his suit actually in those movies? So I had to watch them all, and I had to talk, no, I did not. <laughs> A lot of hard research for this one, no. Batman in his bat suit in the first movie, Batman Begins, is in his bat suit for 24 minutes compared to the 141 minute long movie. In the sequel, he's in it a little bit longer. He's in at 36 minutes. But the movie's longer, it's 152 minutes. And finally, he drops back down. He's at 30 minutes in The Dark Knight Rises. But that movie's a long one, 165 minutes. So, if you add up, I can still do math. And this is where high school paid off. If you add them all up, it was 90 minutes of total Batman time compared to 458 minutes of runtime. That's one and a half hours of Batman compared to seven and a half hours of the rest of the movie. 
What are those movies about? Batman. It's about Batman. Like, Batman doesn't have to be in every scene to be about Batman. When he's Bruce Wayne, you know that's Batman. There's a little part of that. When there's other characters in, it starts showing the characters of who Batman is because of what that is around the outside. As we look at Genesis and we look at the, uh, the Torah of the Old Testament, I want us to look that all of this, the Torah, it leads and shows who God and Jesus' character and nature are. It leads to who they are. And as we look at Genesis, we will continue to see who God is and who Jesus is. And as we look at this, we have to start looking at the process of these Hebrew writers writing this. These were writers writing in their time, in their context, and to their audience. And if you were to take a look at the book of John, so if we were to open up the book of John right now, John chapter 1, and read the verse, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, imagine reading that and never reading Genesis 1-1. That would be a little bit different because there's now this different process. In the beginning was the Word. Huh, I wonder where in the beginning came from. Where, why would John be using this kind of terminology, this verbiage? Because it's a callback to Genesis. And so many of us say, oh, well, the, it's not important. No, he is making a declaration that Jesus, the Word, was with God, and the Word was God. That is not a simple, these are powerful words. These are heavy words, especially to the Jewish people at the time. But that would be like opening up a novel in the middle of the book and just start reading and being like, Okay, I'll pick up here. I'll get bits and pieces. You, you'll get some of it. You'll get parts of it. You might even get a plot point, or you might even get like different characters, but you aren't seeing the overarching story. You haven't how, how it got there, what's happening there, why is this needed? And so many of us can get lost while we read the Old Testament because we don't see its connectivity. And I'm telling you right now, it is beautifully put together. It is about bringing order to a place without order. It is about having a divine family and a human family. And then, and then so quickly it was broken. And what is so great about God, and you will see consistently over today, is the redeeming plan to bring his family back to him by sending his son to live perfectly, die, rise again, and for his family and to bring his family back to paradise, to bring them back to Eden. The Torah, as we dig in, will shine beams of light onto Jesus and will also illuminate the nature of who God is. Point number one, Torah overview. We're going to take a quick glance. A, a couple practical points is first is that the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It's the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. People have also called the Torah the five books of Moses. And you probably have even heard it called the Pentateuch, which means a five-part book, our five books. Now, Moses would be considered the author of the first five books, 
somewhere around 3,000 years ago, around the 15th century. And many people believe this was during his, the Exodus event, as they're on the Exodus, because he had plenty of time to write, if you didn't realize that. Now, the main reason, there's multiple verses and the main reason, but one of the main reasons people believe that it was written by Moses is an example, is a verse like John 5, 45 through 47. This is what is said by Jesus in verse 45 through 47 of John. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So there's kind of those kind of callbacks and verses of like, I wrote about him. And you are the Jewish scholars and you would know that Moses wrote these things. And he's saying this and he's saying, it's not me that's going to accuse you, it's going to be Moses because Moses wrote these things. Now, I, there, Moses probably did have some help writing it along. He had probably other different people because we pretty much can guarantee that because Deuteronomy 34, he didn't write his own death. You know, like, unless, that would have been a pretty cool thing to do. But you also got to realize what, what's going on there. So as we begin with the Torah, as we dig with Genesis, I, I want you to also see these structured themes going through. So as you read the, in the following weeks, as you continue to look through the following weeks, you'll see this overarching pattern. And you'll continue to see it over and over again. R. Kent Hughes states, an overview of Genesis reveals neatly structured themes. It is widely accepted that chapters 1 through 11 cover primeval history. That is the early history of the planet Earth. And chapters 12 through 50 are patriarchal, history, and that's the history of Israel's founding fathers. Now, today we're going to be dealing with the prime evil history with the first 11 chapters, and we won't even get to all 11, but I wanted you to see these themes and these structures, so you start, when you start reading, you're seeing, oh, these are these patterns that the writer is showing us. The structures, as uh, we'll talk about in Genesis, Hughes continues, Genesis gives us five stories that have similar structure. The stories are the fall, Cain and Abel, the sons of God marrying the daughters of man, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And all five of these stories unfold in this four-step pattern. First, there is sin. There's a sin problem, and sin is described. Second, there is this speech given by God announcing the penalty of the sin. Three, there's grace. There's grace. God brings his grace to the sin. And the fourth is the final punishment of the sin. Point number two, sin, punishment, grace. Sin, punishment, grace. As Hughes continues to point out, he says, there is amazing grace redemption shown through in all five stories. There is an increasing avalanche of sin and resulting punishment that necessarily becomes increasingly severe, but there's always enough grace. 
Let's take a quick look at these. A, we went through the stories. A, Adam and Eve sinned, right? We all know that. And Adam and Eve are punished. They're kicked out. But God graciously withholds the death penalty. B, Cain kills his brother. Cain is banished from the family. But God graces him with the mark of protection. Now the people now are living in massive sin. And the flood comes. But God graciously preserves the human race through Noah. The people build a tower of Babel for themselves. God gives them multiple language. Now this is where the one that the, it takes a little bit longer for the grace, but God chooses Abraham that will lead to Jesus. If you really want to know what Genesis is about, it is about grace. It is about grace. It is about a divine family connecting with a human family. God choosing to connect with a humans and what a loving and caring family truly is. And Genesis is like a good family about grace. Reading through Genesis, you can practically smell grace through the words. Every time dirtiness, evil, sin approaches, which you see all the time in Genesis, there is God with grace. There is God with grace. A good summary verse of Genesis is that of Genesis 50, verse 20. Now, I know that's skipping ahead. I'm cheating a little bit. You haven't read that, but this is a good summary verse. It says, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We will see humans fail over and over and over again. I don't know if you don't see that in today, that humans fail over and over and over again. But what the Hebrew word is saying here, which is the word ra, which means bad, evil, unproductive, we see those. That, that's where we, we fail, we, we ra, we do that all constantly. But we see what God does. He turns it to tov, which is good, productive, over and over and over again. So as we take a look at this and take a look at the scripture, so many people want to look at it, the scripture, our Genesis through this perspective or from that perspective or even from a 21st century view of Genesis. Some want to take a look at Genesis as a science book. I am letting you know Genesis is not a science book. That's like me writing my goals for 2024, giving them to my wife, okay? My goals for 2024, these are my goals. And then about five years later, someone finds that note and be like, oh, that John writes a great love letter to his wife. What? That, that's not the same, we're not, we're not talking, no, that's my goals for 2024. We need to know the context that I'm writing in. We need to know how I'm writing. And so many people want Genesis to fit into a 21st century viewpoint. We want this, uh, the 23 and me viewpoint. We want all the data points that work in our favor. We want all the favor that works how I perceive it. This is not written for the 21st century. This is written in the context of where God is and where those people are at those matter. A couple points. God has not given us 
all the information that we want, because if he wanted to, he would have. Right? If he wanted to, he could have, but he decided not to. And the authors and audience did not view what we find important as what they found important. In the tour, the writers actually preferred function and productive mattered a whole lot more than physical matter. Take an example. Gonna grab this. What do you see? Stool. But what else? The legs. There's what? Somewhere to sit. What? What? Lonely. <laughs> well, if no one's it's black. Like in like there's probably screws in it. There's probably glue. There's wood put together. Now, there's different things here. They would view it as, our culture views it very similar to this. Like what we just said. One person actually got right. You, you sit in it. That's the function. You sit in the seat. That's how they, the culture, would have viewed it. This is the function that you see, sit in it. Now, we all know that, but we also could see other things. There's, it's made of wood. It's, it stands up. It's called a stool. All these kind of names, and we sit in it. And that's what the function is. Now, here's how they would perceive it. In some way, someone had to make this functionable. Someone had to make this function, put it together. And that's where they go, there has to be a designer. There has to be someone that is making that functioning this kind of stuff. This is where we are too, but some of us would look at it differently, and that's where all of our perspectives start looking at it. How do we perceive this stool? Because if we just took it out back, where was this a, maybe 10 years ago? Where was this 10 years ago? Probably in a wood pile. And the paint was probably somewhere way far away. Not even created yet. There's all this other stuff to put together the function of the seat. The summary of the beginning of Genesis is that God created something out of nothing, but he created it out of chaos. And that is something that is not productive. That is out of chaos and, and wilderness is something that is, is anti-life. Now, I have to take one quote from my friend Brad Boyles. He says, if you are upset that this book, the Genesis, is not a science book, Get back to me when you create something out of nothing. This is God's character. Creating something, building something into productiveness consistently since the beginning of time. Now I want you to get this. In John 1, 3, it states, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. God has created all things. Now Genesis is talking about how God made order and function to earth and had created the heavens and earth to be in a relationship with humanity. He had the heavenly realm. 
those of the cherubim, to the angels, to the divine council, and he created humanity to share in that beauty together, to have a family. And it doesn't take long for that to get lost. But when we read Genesis, I want you to, to see something that people miss a lot of. And many atheists and many non-believers will say that you see one God in the Old Testament and another one in the New Testament. False. You see God's grace always at the doorstep of Genesis. You, you've already read it. And if you have been reading it, you can see it over and over again. You have already begun to see the loving and caring father of the entire universe that loves humanity. Well, let's look at the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1. If you want to turn to me there, if not, that's good. You probably memorized it already. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, it is ancient custom for the name of the book to be, to be named by its opening words, which happens to be the first book of the Bible. The word uh, Bereshit means in the beginning. Now, in the beginning, we get the word Genesis because the Old Testament was translated around 250 to the Greek, and we use the word Genesis. The English has adapted Genesis as well. This is the beginning of the doctrine, the scripture of the word of God. In the beginning gives us the presence of God. And as we will see, Genesis as a whole shows us that humans in the image of God will be there, but then also evil will call, come, and the fall of man, and the depravity of man, and the redemption of humans through God's plan. All begins with these first words, in the beginning. In the beginning. Now many of you and many people ask, where does God come from? if there's a beginning, okay? Well, I'm going to answer this in 30 seconds. No, I'm just joking. But as you look at the beginning, I want you to know that we worship a God that is not affected by time as we are. He's not affected by space or matter as we are. If he were to be affected that, like that, he would not be God. He's outside time, space, and matter. Now, a famous quote by Kent Hovind he puts it like this, and you might have seen, seen some of these quotes on like TikTok or different videos, but, and then he also has some reading material on, on this kind of stuff. But one of the quotes is, um, time, space, and matter is what they would call a continuum. It, that means that the, all of the, these three elements had to occur at the same time. He goes on to quote that this has to be the case because... If there is matter and no space, where would you put it? Or if you had matter and space but no time, when would you put it? They all have to begin and they all have to come together and they cannot be independent of each other. And the beginning of Scripture answers these all three at the same time. In the beginning, time. God created the heavens space, and the earth matter. The continual process of mounting evidence leads that there is a God that is timeless, outside of space, 
and outside of matter. And he chose to have a relationship with humans. Think about that. A timeless being has decided to have a relationship with humans. A finite being. As we continue with Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, in the beginning is the first famous quote. Now there are other translations that, and dialects that translate that the word, it, it could also be uh, used as when. So when God created the heavens and earth. This is just dropping us into the story of when God began. It's on his timing, not human timing. In the beginning, or when God created the heavens and earth, in verse 1, deals with the entire creative narrative. Grammatically, the first verse is a summary of the whole account of the creative narrative. God just didn't create the physical matter. He gave it function. And if we also look that the word God in verse 1 is the word Elohim, and it is a Hebrew plural form. This would be a form of honor, one of which shows God's glory. As, as we know, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we talked about, God is without beginning. No one can stand against him, and his power has no end. And this is the God who created all of existence, and the heavens and the earth lead to the fact that he created the blades of grass to the entire cosmos. And when the people of the Torah talked about the heavens and earth, they were actually talking about what they were standing on when they said earth. Now you have to remember, they did not know the world looked like a globe, or for some of you, flat earth, you know. But they did not know what that was. I'm on earth. And when they talked about the heavens, they're talking about from the sky. What's coming from the sky? The mountains. Because why were they building temples? Because the gods lived up there. The gods were up there. So when they talked about the heavens, and that's where the rain come from. That's where everything brought. So that's what they're talking about. Now, I know sometimes we get confused because uh, heaven is bringing back what we call into paradise, being with heaven. Well, that's what we're trying to do. The heaven is being with God in paradise forever. It's being connected with him. It's that connection. I know we then jump into verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, Bruce K. Walkie helps point out that the starting point of the story may be somewhat surprising. There's no word of God creating the planet at this point. Earth or the darkness of the watery chaos, in verse 2. The narrator begins the story with the planet already present, although undefined and unformed. In God's creative power, he will transform the darkness into an ordered universe. We already know that God created everything. And then he comes to the earth, this formless, it was empty, it was not full of life. There's no life there. And that's when the scripture is telling us. It is showing that there, there is a status of the earth which there is no life, and life is not present because there was darkness over the surface of the deep. And these are the words. The darkness is contrary to the light and to the land. Now, I want to jump in here because some people, as we, we begin, we start talking, and um, 
I, I want to show just a couple, uh, uh, the video of the, uh, the waves of just some of what is chaos to me. Like when I start seeing this kind of stuff, I get a little bit, I, I, I was watching this as just research and I'm just like, there's this, this control of this water, of this chaos that just humans, even in the boats and even in these huge things, just can't control can't control like we can help navigate it we can help sort of walk in it but there's just this chaos if you've ever watched those videos i know some of you have seen those videos where they go out and shrimp at night or they do different kinds of hunting thing and i'm like there's no way i'm throwing up over time every time down like it's not happening it's it's this chaos and i want us to get a a little bit and many people call uh there's this moral evil and what some people call this surd evil. There's a surd evil. This is not because of a moral failing or nothing like that. There is just because of the fall, just because there are things that happen that just are chaos. My, my friend, he, li- he lives in, uh, in, over by Baltimore, but he was out in California, and he decided, hey, I'm going to go surfing for the day. I'm just going to go out there, and I'm going to try to ride some waves, and I'm going to be having a good time. And he starts riding, and he's staying in the safe area because he hasn't been out in a while. His other buddy's out there. He's surfing and doing his thing, and everything's going great. But as all of a sudden, he started getting pulled out over a little bit more into more of the dangerous waves. And then all of a sudden, a swell that was not natural, it was a big swell, came through and grabbed him grabbed him and brought him over and all of a sudden he is just getting pummeled by waves because he got caught in some weeds and he's there now this guy was fit he was in shape and he is he's laying there and he's grasping for air he is just like there's no way i'm this the waves are now coming the waves are now there there's nothing that can happen at that thing did he do a moral evil at that point to get that of that big wave, there's, there's this chaos that, that still happens in this world, that there's this, still there's this, this evil because God's the one that controls it and uh, controls all the good, but there, there's still this. And I think Satan likes it, but there's this control. Luckily, he, my buddy, a lifeguard, came right by at the right time and told him to hold on to the back of his jet ski, and he grabbed on and luckily was safe. And he's a hot mess going in there because his other buddy came in and he tried to save him, but he couldn't. And he had a huge gash on his head. So they all had to go to the hospital. But it was a reminder to me that we think we're in so much control. We have it all together and some small little waves out there. Not the deep, nothing to, with the waves, we're about 50 feet deep. Like we can't, and we're underwater. Drown the control. My heart sometimes gets pumped in watching up those videos, but, but then there's this awesome moment when the Spirit of God, and the verbiage here is that Elohim, the callback to the mighty God, the mighty God Elohim, which if you notice, is mentioned 30 to- 32 times in Genesis 1, chapter 1. Just, just so you know, that God's a big deal in Genesis 1. There is significance to the name of God. There is significance to the name of God. And this is what it says. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw 
that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And this is where God created function, the earth for life. He brings about the process of all creation together. And if you notice, day one is the forming of light and it connects to day four which deals with the lights, the star, sun, and moon. Now, day two deals with the firmament, the sky and the sea, but it connects to day five, that of the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. And if day three deals with the dry land and vegetation, where day six deals with the land and animals. God is bringing function. There's this land and uh, production this, and then all of a sudden I'll put humans there. There's this beautiful cemetery, and then in day seven, God saw that it was good, and he rested. If you could show some of the pictures of, like, like this is in our world. Like, that's the cosmos. You can drive that. I think those are unicorns, <laughs> but that's a bird. That is like in the sky declaring his name. And I know those are just like small little pictures, but if you really wanted to, I think sometimes we forget how beautiful the sunset is at night. I think we sometimes forget how beautiful the snowfall is. Like God is declaring his beauty all around us. What a, how much grace that came out of the the water that was chaotic, the water that was just trying to destroy you. It had no function, nothing. There's nothing there. And God brings this life. And once again, God, from the beginning of time itself, has taken that of which is lifeless and gave grace and turned it for good. What a gracious God we serve. Now, I want you to think for a second in your life. You have been in darkness or you have seen darkness, emptiness, loneliness. It is Christ alone that can overcome these things. His grace that is reaching out to you. We have a limited idea of God's power and grace. We have minimized the words of God at Genesis 1 when God created life. Take your hand and put it in the front of your mouth and just breathe. Who gave you that breath? Yourself? Congratulations. You did that. The breath of life God has given us in our lungs that make oxygen work. That give us breath to breathe, to walk. I want you to know when you are with God, you can overcome certain evil, moral evil. And there's still going to be chaos in this life because we're fallen. We're, it's a fallen planet. We are not back in Eden yet. That won't happen until Christ comes back down, which is so interesting because we just did Revelations not too long ago. And it's a great reminder. But we also have to remember, and most of you know the story, Adam and Eve were protected in the garden. They were in the presence of God, but when they lost it, they were now enemies of God. And our hearts are enemies towards God. We've all sinned and fallen short. 
all of us. I will tell you, even today, I think uh, me and Brad were talking about this. I think children are a great reminder of how evil we are. My child, this morning, I love her dearly, but dropped something and threw it under the refrigerator. And I was like, oh, I will get this. She started yelling at me. I don't like you. It's like, what are we talking about? All of a sudden, she's mad at me. Even though I'm trying to get this slinky from underneath a refrigerator. And as I am digging at it and digging at it, she's now upstairs crying. I don't know what she's telling my wife. Daddy doesn't like me. I don't know. You know what's so funny is as I'm down there on my knees, it reminded me of me and Brad's conversation. It's like, we do this to God all the time. We yell. And now we're at the point where a lot of people just file against him. They want nothing to do with him. They want to destroy him. They've been given this great gift of life and they want nothing of him. I don't want to fall into that pattern. I'm going to fall into the pattern of this grace and this mercy. And we've forgotten how much grace and life and purpose he's given us. If you walk out today, I want you to know that the God of the universe has given you breath. Has given you life. Has given you an opportunity to be back in the family, to become back to Eden. And I ask you, if you're outside of that, to repent. That is what's so, he wants you to be within the divine family not outside. That is a gracious God. He wants you to have and know your purpose. He wants you to know that. And some of you don't feel that right now. You might be lost. You might feel like you're in the waves. Or you might have family members that are in the waves and you don't know what to do anymore. Or your money situation might be in the waves anymore. You don't know what to do or how you handle different situations, or a bad situation came up, a life-threatening situation. You don't know what to do. You get lost in the chaos. And I am telling you to get back on the rock to a gracious God, to a loving God that will navigate through those waters. God gives the purpose. He cares for the birds of the sea and the fish in the ocean. I think I said that wrong. Birds in the air, fish in the ocean. I'm glad I caught myself. But how quickly we forget these things, that we serve a God of grace and mercy. And if he cares about those things, how much more does he care about you? Because who was still down on the ground trying to get a slinky out of a refrigerator? A loving father. I am even failed, a sinful father that would do that. How much more would a loving, almighty God do for you. Let us sing.